This is Pastor Chad. Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We are honored that you have joined us today. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. Now, let's jump in to today's message. God a praise for his presence in this place. Wow. Wow. Incredible presence of God here today, and we're thankful for that. Um, good morning to you. If this is your first time here, thank you so much for being with us. Those that are watching online, thank you for tuning in. I'm pumped up about the new series that we are kicking off today, and the title may throw you off just a little bit, but I believe that the information that I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few weeks is going to be life-changing and some of the most important revelation that I I feel that I'll share all year long. Um, The title of the series is Twisted. Everybody say Twisted. All right, that title is kind of odd, right? Uh, Unique, uh, especially in church. You know, we're we're trying to get our lives untwisted, uh, and you're preaching on being twisted. And so I'm hoping that as we get into to uh, today's message that it will make sense to you, Um, and I believe that what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this series is to uncover the hidden struggles, maybe the ones that you don't talk about, um, the ones that you wouldn't want anybody to know that you're going through or that you're battling in that area. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to uncover that, and not just to uncover it, I believe that he wants us to declare healing and freedom over the hidden struggles in your life. And so I want to call this first installment, I want to call this Underneath the Surface. Underneath the Surface. Uh, Go with me to Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter number 20. Um, While you're turning there, uh, if you don't have the Bethesda app, you can download that. Our notes are there. The scriptures are there. um, Places for you to, to, you know, digitally type them in and email them to yourself. It's a great way to make sure that you're you're, uh, growing in the word of God. Um, Exodus chapter 20 is where God is giving the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments. And I'm not, my my message uh, topic today is not on the Ten Commandments, but there is a principle tucked in one of the commandments that I'm going to be drawing from um, that I think will speak to us. Exodus 20, starting in verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, before I continue reading, we know God brought them out of Egypt, um, and that was instant. didn't take long. You know, they, they had the, the Passover lamb, and out they went, and miracle after miracle happened. The problem was is not just getting them out of Egypt. The problem was getting Egypt out of them. Uh, and, and so it's the, the same is true with you. you, you when you got born again, it's instant. But how many know it's a process getting the world out of you, right? It's easy to come out of the world. God saves you. You're ready. But there's a process in getting the world out of you. And verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, 
but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. It's so important because God says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children up to three and four generations. But the context of God giving us that principle is there shall, you shall have no other gods before you. And so we have to ask the question, why does God attach, I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Why does he attach that to the commandment of you shall have no other gods before me? He could have placed that on don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal. But he, he attached it to this, this one commandment about not having idols. Now, a lot of us, when we think about idol worship, we think about statues and we think about carved images. Um, but idol worship in our culture has nothing to do with a carved image. I believe that it has to do with building a Jesus in our mind that is not the real Jesus. It's when we build an image of Jesus in our mind that does not match the Jesus of the Bible. And I believe that many people are doing their best to um, build a Jesus that fits their lifestyle. And we're not seeking out the true Jesus and living accordingly, but we're trying to find the Jesus that fits our lifestyle, so much so that we'll go from church to church to church trying to find the one that preaches the Jesus we like. That's called idol worship. And a lot of people live there. Um, I can make Jesus look like me. But how many know? We, we, we're not supposed to be making Jesus look like us. We're supposed to be looking like Jesus. That's a good place to clap. <laughs> we're supposed to be looking like Jesus. And, and, and so this concept, God says, I don't want you to have any other gods. I, I want to be priority. I want to be first. And we know that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And, and religion as a whole always tries to make, make God just like them, themselves, just a little bigger. You know, God's just like us. He's just a little bigger. Um, but where, where it gets dangerous is when I live a life or you live a life in a certain direction or a lifestyle that does not honor God and it's not a reflection of the real Jesus, but rather the Jesus that fits your lifestyle, something gets planted in the bloodline. Something happens to your children and your children's children when you live a life where you're just making Jesus fit your lifestyle. See, if I choose a pattern uh, in my life, a pattern of sin, cycles of sin, and, and, and a lifestyle that does not honor God, I'm creating a system that will affect my bloodline, it'll affect my children and my grandchildren. God said, I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, uh, in, in fact, my actions are so powerful that I could have great-grandchildren wake up one day and realize they're fighting devils um, that was attached to me and they've never met me. That's how powerful it is. Um, and I'm not talking about, please don't think I'm talking about like last night somebody cut you off in traffic and you, you gave them the finger. I'm not saying God's going to visit that to the third and fourth generation. You need to control yourself. All right? I'm talking about a pattern. 
I'm talking about a cycle. Uh, I'm talking about something that, that you've not been able to break because the truth is we do not sin in a vacuum. We don't, we don't sin in a vacuum. When we sin, it affects the people around us. It affects the people that are born out of us because we are spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is perfected when you get saved. All the requirements of the law were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You cannot increase upon that. Anybody thankful today that Jesus did the entire work for you and that your spirit is fine because of him? Right? That's, that's good news. But the soul, we're, mind, we're, we're spirit, soul, and body. The soul part of us, which is the mind, the will, and the emotions, that's the place where our impulses come from. Our desires come from, from, come from that soulish realm. And a lot of times, how many of our, our desires, um, our, uh, I guess, willingness to do things that does not honor God, those things come from the soul realm. It's where I file away all the experiences that I've had in life. So when I get saved, my spirit is cleansed. And we know that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. But Peter said, the end of your faith is not about your spirit because your spirit has been saved if you've been born again, but your soul is being saved. How many know it's, the spirit is instant? You come out of Egypt instantly. But getting Egypt out of you Getting that soul sanctified is a process. And you have to partner with God in that process. And so what God wants to do is he, want, he wants to get involved in that second dimension and, and, and begin pulling out. We, we're out of the world, but God wants to pull the world out of us. And I believe that we have, we have people in this culture that have had a genuine experience with God. They really have. They've met Jesus. They, they've given their lives to Christ. They got saved. They, they would say they are born again, and they had a true experience. But they're trying to only deal with the spiritual part, but they're not dealing with the trash can that is in their soul. And, and, and guys, it's not enough to pray in tongues and then not keep your emotions in check. Are y'all here? What God wants to do is not just in the spiritual, but he wants to get involved in that soulish realm of your life. Because for your spirit to be cleansed, we know there had to be a death, burial, and resurrection. And I would say the, the same is true for your soul. There has to be a death, burial, and resurrection. But in that second dimension, in your soul, there is something that gets buried that we read about, and it's called iniquity. Now, this is not a word we talk a lot about in church. Everybody say iniquity. Iniquity. Something gets buried in the soul called iniquity. And God says, I'm going to visit not the sin. I'm going to visit the iniquity of the father to the third and fourth generation because iniquity is found underneath the surface. Now, you may want to write this down, but sin and iniquity are not the same thing. Two different things. Uh, if somebody cut you off in traffic and you flipped them off, um, that's sin, okay? That's not necessarily iniquity. You need to repent of that, ask God to forgive you, maybe even apologize to that person if you can track them down. But iniquity is much deeper than an outward action. 
It's dangerous because it lives and exists underneath the ground. And I don't want you to miss this because the word iniquity means bent or twisted. That's where the title came from. It means bent or twisted. And so God says, I will visit the iniquities of the father to the third and fourth generation. In other words, I will visit your bentness. I will visit your twistedness. I I will visit that thing that is underneath the surface because when Adam sinned, here's what happened. How many of we were all affected by Adam and Eve's sin? Everybody understand that, right? They were perfect when they were created, but after they sinned, every person who was born after Adam failed God and sinned against God was now born, and David said, shapen in iniquity, which means that we come into the world bent with certain proclivities. We are twisted, and how many know, the moment we are born into the world, we need God at that moment because we come messed up. We come messed up, twisted, bent. And so that's why it's so important that we talk about this because a a, a brand new baby didn't just get the blue eyes from mom and dad or the baldness from dad. Um, The baby also got the things you don't see, the things the family doesn't talk about. The, the bentness, the, the twistedness. And, and you may even think, I, I don't know, I don't really understand why certain things don't bother me, but when this happens, it sucks me down into a hole that I can't dig out of. How many of we all struggle, we just don't all struggle with the same things, right? Everybody's got something they are fighting. And so it, whether it be addiction or anger issues or um, a spirit of rejection that, is, that has been passed down from one generation to the next. And, and some of us were real hard at calling out those outward sins in other people, but we don't deal with the things that are underlying in our lives, the things that are underneath the surface. Iniquities are underneath the surface. And what was relegated to a closet in one generation becomes public in the next. I can show you that with David. David obviously lusted after Bathsheba and took, him, took her to bed, sinned, committed adultery, uh, tried to cover it up. And so we could basically say David tried to keep it in the closet, but his son Solomon had hundreds of women. What is in the closet in one generation becomes public in the next. I, I could talk about homosexuality. And I'm not just picking on that. You all know my heart. I would never just pick on it. But what used to be in the closet in one generation is now in your face in this generation. See, sin that is covered and concealed, just because you bury something doesn't mean that it's dead. You can bury pain. Like, you just push it down. I'm not going to talk about the pain. I don't want to deal with the pain. I'm going to bury the pain. But, but if that pain is still a part of your life, even if you bury it and never talk about it again, that thing will still grow underneath the surface. And so we have to deal with the concept of iniquity because life is choice-driven. Life is about decisions. It's supposed to be linear, that I, I, I sow something and then I reap something. But some of us, we are sowing bad decisions and we're reaping calamity. How many of sowing and reaping is not just on the positive end? That if I'm sowing bad things, I'm also going to reap a harvest of bad things. Are y'all in this church? I hope you're listening and not asleep. 
Um, and, and so there is a process of sowing and reaping, and, and that's positive and negative. And I, I believe that the church sometimes is really good at calling out people's sins. I grew up in a church that called out everybody's sin. Anybody go to that church? They called out everybody's sin. And, and they didn't just do it with a microphone and an altar call. I mean, if they felt like you were messing around, they would call you on the phone and say, what have you been doing? The Holy Ghost told me last night, you, you've been involved in something that is not honoring God. And they would not just tell you, they would pray with you until you got the victory over that area. And so the church has been good at calling out sin, but we've been terrible at, at figuring out why they sinned. See, if I can heal the why, the sin will disappear. If I always just stand up and shake my Bible at you and, and declare what your sin is, then what happens is, is that you will learn behavior modification. You will keep the struggle, but change the behavior when you're around me. And I'm convinced because we never deal with the why, we only deal with the what, that what we get in return is people that have modified their behavior, and so when they're in certain environments, they act right, but as soon as they get out of the environment, they go back to doing what they were doing and what they were struggling with. But if we could be a church that would rise up and not just call out the what, but let's talk about the why, and then we can have enough mercy to heal the behavior and the struggle. We're so hung up on what, what they do, but we got to get hung up on why they do it. That's what we got to get to. Why is it, let me just ask this question, but before I ask the question, freedom, freedom, everybody say freedom. I'm getting warmed up now. Freedom is not, I stop sinning, but man, I really want to. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to follow you, but man, I just wish I could do this. I mean, that's not freedom. It's called torture. See, real freedom is not I stop sinning, but I am struggling because I really want to do this thing. That's not freedom. It's torture. Real freedom is I now no longer have the desire to do it. Real freedom Listen, is loving what God loves and hating what God hates, and, and the only way for that to happen is to deal with the things on the inside that we never talk about so that God can place, replace the old desires with new desires. Come on, give God a praise right there. We got to love what he loves and hate what he hates. So, um, iniquity is not the act of sin, but iniquity deals with the why of sin. Now, so important, and I'm, I'm going to hit something here, and I, I, y'all know me by now. I'm going to be bold about it. God forbids us to judge. Judge not lest you be judged. Um, pretty clear. Forbids us to do it. Now, we don't usually pay attention to that. We usually make judgments, gossip about our judgments, talk about, how we feel about people and what they did or didn't do. We're, we're real good at, at doing that, but God forbids us to judge because a judge um, has to be a person. When you think about the concept of judging, a judge receives all the intel, all the information before they give a sentence. Yet we'll take something that we just saw 
on the surface or part of a story and then make a judgment without having all the information. God forbids us to do it, and part of the reason is because you don't know the root of what's been lying underneath the ground for years. You don't know the series of events that led up to that one act that you are now judging. You don't know about the devil, that that person's daddy fault. You don't know all the things that have happened to bring them to that point, and so we judge them without all the information. But if you want to judge, feel free, but understand this. Judgment... Judgment is left with the righteous judge. And the last time I checked, the righteous judge is not in this room. He's here by spirit. But he's not here. It's none of y'all. It's not me. How many know there's one righteous judge and his name is Jesus, right? He's the only righteous judge. But if you choose to judge, please remember, with the same measure you judge, that will be measured back to you. And if you can't take that kind of measure, then don't dish it out. I need somebody to give God praise right there. If you can't handle it coming back, don't dish it out. Iniquity can run three and four generations deep. Some of you, you're locked. If we, could, if we could see underneath the surface the struggle that seems like it will not go away, and it's gone on for years, the truth is it probably started before you were even born. God will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. We don't talk about it a lot of times, and, and previous generations were taught not to talk about anything. And so everything was swept under the rug. We, we, we know about daddy's problem, but we're not allowed to talk about it. We, we know what grandma used to do, but we're not allowed to talk about it. We don't talk about it, but it grows under, underground. It grows underneath the surface. And just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean that it's not there. And God not only wants to deliver you from the outward sins that everybody can see with the naked eye, but God wants to heal the things on the inside of you that embarrass you, that torment you, that keep you up at night, that have gone on for 20 years. God wants to get on the inside and heal those places of your life. That's what God is wanting to do in this series. He wants to go beneath the surface. We only want to do it, well, we, we, we don't cuss or, you know, we don't commit adultery. And we, we only talk about outward stuff. But I'm telling you, I'm running into more and more people. It ain't the outward stuff. It's the thing they don't talk about. It's the thing on the inside of them that they've never discussed. But it says in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, this is a, a prophetic word about Jesus. It says, surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The chastisement of our peace was upon Jesus, and he places peace in the equation after the iniquity has been dealt with. And because the reason for that is as long as you are 
operating in the sin, operating in the iniquity, your peace will always be destroyed. Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so that tells me that if I'm operating in the kingdom, regardless of what's going on all around me, listen, if I'm in the kingdom, I should have righteousness, I should have peace, and I should have the joy of the Holy Ghost. If I don't have peace and joy, it's an indicator that I'm operating in something outside of the kingdom of God. And nothing will destroy your peace and joy faster than operating in sin and iniquity. How many know that when we sin, it robs us of peace? Wave at me. Listen, if you're a child of God and you mess up, it, how many your peace is, is messed with? It, it, if you're really following Jesus and you do the wrong thing, it will rob you of peace. And the enemy loves to do that. The kingdom manifests in those three qualities, righteousness, peace, and joy. And the chastisement that brought us peace was upon Jesus. Because anytime I'm in sin, that's why Jesus came to deal with the sin. Because it, it robs me not only of relationship with God, but it robs me of the peace that I desire. We all know David was a mighty man of God, a man after God's own heart. But when he took Bathsheba to bed and she wasn't his wife, the, the, the Bible says that after that, that he started lying to cover it up and then he murdered someone. In other words, if I don't break the cycle of sin and iniquity, what happens? It multiplies. It begins to grow. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we see that happening in David's life, so much so that in Psalm 40, in the midst of that season, David says, for innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And so David is talking about the things on the inside that are driving him to make decisions that do not honor God. Now, here's where it's hard for us. Because if that was like, you know, Johnny from church and he had committed adultery and lied, and then killed somebody, we probably wouldn't say Johnny is a man after God's own heart. The Bible's very clear. David is a man after God's own heart participating in this. Um, and a lot of us, we get, we get messed up sometimes when, when somebody does something that we can see on the outside that we believe doesn't honor God, we'll start saying things like, um, I can't listen to anybody that, that has sin in their life. Well, if that's the case, you need to close your Bible. Because David was a man after the heart of God, had sin in his life. Moses gave us the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He was a murderer who was on the run. And Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, called himself the chief of sinners. Anybody thankful that God can use broken, messed up, sinful people, turn them around and use them to do something great in the kingdom? That, that gives me, like, hope. That gives me encouragement. 
And so David comes behind that verse in Psalm 40. And in Psalm 51, he said, God created me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. David, at this moment, the man who was after the heart of God had adultery in his life. He had lied and covered it up. He had murdered someone. He had done so many things that had robbed him of joy and peace. But it's at this moment where David begins to say, God, what I did was wrong. I have hurt people. I've hurt people that I love. I have hurt myself. I've lost joy and I've lost peace. How many know when we sin, we don't sin in a vacuum. We hurt a lot of people in the process. And David is coming clean and he's saying, God, I want you to restore to me the joy of, of your salvation. Some of us, we get saved, the burden is lifted, we got the joy of the Lord and the peace of God, but then we get around the wrong people and then we start doing the wrong things and before we know it, we're coming to church on Sunday but we don't have any peace. It's because we, we have some things underneath the surface that we're not dealing with that's robbing us of the very thing God gave us in the first place. I'm saying bring it to God. You need to own it, baby. If you messed up, own it. But but. Let's get it out there and let's move on past it. So many people don't want to own their stuff. David eventually had to own it and say, God, it ain't anybody else, it's me. But instead of saying, God, it's, it's me, what, what happens, we become self-righteous and we, we want to watch everybody else. We want to judge everybody else, not knowing that while we're judging everybody else, Something's growing underneath the surface in our self-righteousness that does not honor God. And so we got to be very careful about how many of you got enough to work on yourself. See how low the claps are getting? You got, you, you're, you got a lot to work on. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear. And how do you have so much time to know what everybody's junk is? How, how do you even know all that? If you're really working on you, then how do you have so much to talk about in others? Listen, if I'm going to be serious about this thing, I gotta, I gotta, I, Chad Dingus has got enough to work on. I don't have to be on the phone talking about your stuff. Come on, somebody, help me out right here. I, I don't. I got enough to work on. I got enough that, that I need God's help with. And that's what we got to get back to. And if you've messed up, own it like David did. Say, God created me a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, it's a, such a powerful moment that David had to be able to move forward. But I want to I transition for a moment because Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. Very, very important. When it comes to transgression, that is a sinful act. That is something that you can see with your eyes. It's one that can be seen. So he's wounded for our transgressions. He bled on the outside so that we could be healed of those outward things that do not honor God. But it goes on to say that he was bruised for our iniquities. 
A bruise is when blood vessels are popped underneath the skin. It's when bleeding happens underneath. And so we know without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, but Jesus bled for both the sins that we do outwardly and the sins that nobody can see. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus bled on the outside for what we did on the outside, but he was bruised and bled on the inside for what you are struggling with on the inside. He did that for the areas that embarrass you, the areas that torment you, the areas you say, I don't want anybody to know about this. I don't want to talk about this. I want to bury this thing. I'm telling you, Jesus bled bled on the inside for the thing that nobody knows about. Oh, for a church that would allow people to show their bruises. Not I lied or I gossiped or I'm talking about the thing you won't talk about. The thing that has grown underneath the surface. Everyone comes to the altar for their transgressions. But what about the people who fill up an altar who say, I haven't done it yet, Pastor, but if you don't help me stop the bleeding, I'm going to do some things because it's, it's so gripped me, I don't feel like I can stop. I want to know if we can be a church that can help with people that haven't even done it yet, but they're drawn to it. See, God has designed the church in such a way that it should be open communication. That's why I, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man. This should be a safe place that if you've been struggling with something you wouldn't want anybody to know about, that you could find two or three people in this house that you could say, you know what, I haven't done it yet, but I really wanted to, but I want to stop the bleeding because I know Jesus, he bled, he was wounded for the things on the inside that haven't even manifested on the outside yet. I wonder what kind of freedom people would experience if we became a church like that. See, the problem is that we always want to deal with the what. And we don't want to deal with the why. Jesus came to forgive us of the sins everyone can see, but he also came to forgive us of the things that no one can see. Whatever you carried into this place today, whatever the end, because things that are left in secret grow. I'm preaching truth right now. Things that you cover, things that you conceal, things that you don't talk about, those things don't just go away. The enemy sometimes, he causes those things that we never deal with, the things we've never talked about, those things actually grow when we don't bring him into the light. But I want to remind you, Jesus bled on the inside. He was bruised for your iniquities. The thing that you're embarrassed over, the thing you would never want to have a conversation about, aren't you thankful 
that Jesus knew the trouble we would have before we even got here and said, I'm not just going to bleed on the outside for the thing everybody can see, but I'm going to bleed on the inside for the thing they refuse to talk about. Anybody thankful for a Savior that has done that for us? As the worship team comes, church, we all are fighting something, but we're not all fighting the same thing. How many know my enemy may not be your enemy? My struggle may not be your struggle. Where I failed may not be where you failed. But the truth is we have all struggled, we have all fought against something. Because when we were born the first time, because of the fall of Adam, the first birth was messed up. And so Jesus told Nicodemus one day that if you really want to get fixed, you got to be born what? Again. The first birth, you came in twisted. But I'm going to give you a new birth. And I'm going to begin the process of straightening out all the twisted places of your life. And that is a process. It requires your participation. We learn from that that you can't fix dirty blood with dirty blood. So Jesus came. We, we know the story. Mary conceived because of the Holy Spirit coming upon her life. She was the connection to the flesh, the part you can see, the part you can touch. But the Holy Spirit was the connection to heaven. And so Jesus came to change the bloodline to shift the bloodline, that I'm no longer twisted, I'm no longer bent. What this tells me, that iniquity flows in the bloodline. But Jesus came to change that, and he spilled blood for us, which tells me this, I and you, we have the power to change. We have the power to change. Now, some of you, you're thinking, I know that, Pastor. This ain't, you know, that's not much revelation. But there's people in this room right now that have been told by the enemy or maybe people in their life that you'll never change. You're just like your daddy. You're, you're just this and that. And they've been told that they don't have any power to ever change. Well, I just want to announce to the devil and every spirit been, that's been assigned to your life, you're a liar. We have the power to change. Jesus has provided a brand new genetic code. Come on, somebody. I have the power to change. I have the power to break the cycle. I have the power to turn it around. I have the power to create something new. Go ahead and stand all over the place right now. I have the power to do it. I have the power to do it. We, re we reproduce all throughout Scripture, we're told that we reproduce after our own kind. In Genesis 1, it talks about the animals reproducing after its kind, the plants reproducing after its kind. And it goes down this long list of how everything reproduces after its kind, which leads me to this. That which is born of cattle is cattle. That which is born of dingus is dingus. That which is born of nestor is nestor. That which is born of chicken is chicken. That which is born of insect is insect. But that which is born of God 
is God. I just want to see if you had the guts to say it. That which is born of God, come on somebody, the bloodline has shifted. You have the power to change. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around for the next couple of moments. I'm going to speak to those watching online, but also those in-house that would say, Pastor, I know that I need Jesus to save me. I came into this world twisted and bent, but I'm ready to allow God to, to begin that process of straightening out my life. First step in that is owning where you are. Listen, this church is not judging you. If you say, you know what, I'm lost and I know I'm not ready for heaven. Listen, we're, we're here to help you make that step so you can leave here saying, I'm ready for heaven. If that's you and you're in this place, you say, I know I need his forgiveness and his grace. I need Jesus to save me. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. I need Jesus to save me. I need Jesus to save me. Thank you for that hand back there. God bless you. Anyone else? Come on, just, just raise your hand. Raise your hand and say, that's me. Anyone else? You'd say, that's me. Don't leave me out of this prayer, Pastor. I need Jesus to save me. Anyone else? Those that are watching online, we would love to pray with you as well. We're actually all going to pray together right now. If you would, just repeat this prayer with me by faith. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give them a big God bless you today. Come on, you do better than that. You've got a praise. It's good stuff. If you made that decision, there is a connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you would take just a moment to let us know who you are, that you made a decision for Christ, fill that out during this last worship song. You can drop it in one of the containers on your way out. And we would love to just help you take your next step. I'm going to ask the prayer team and staff to go ahead and get in place. We're going to open up the altar for a time of prayer. Listen, whatever it is you're going through, maybe it's one of those hidden struggles. Listen, we're here to pray with you and believe for you. It's God's will that you be free. Amen. Aren't you thankful for Jesus today? Give him one more praise. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bethesda Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting bethesdachurch.tv slash give. We will catch you on the next episode.